Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. 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 I've begun using a really cool service from Aviva IQ, and it's made my life so much easier. My guests love receiving all the important details about their stay exactly when they need it. And I love all the five-star reviews I'm getting on communication. Check them out at www.avivaiq.com. Get paid for your pad. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jasper, and I'm co-hosting today with Margot. And she is, of course, the co-founder and CEO of Hostly. Margot, how are you doing? Hey, Jasper. Good good afternoon, evening, morning, depending on where the listeners are. <laughs> evening evening here in Stockholm where it's starting to get very cold and the fall is kicking in and in uh, in Sweden the summer is kind of short. So uh, it gets mm-hmm. cold pretty quickly uh when the summer is over. Yeah. Do you get leaves changing and stuff like that? Is it um you get the nice parts of fall too? Uh yeah, absolutely. It's a beautiful sight, but uh I don't have a winter coat and I don't have a sweater. Because I, <laughs> I haven't been in any cold countries for a long time. So uh, I got to buy some new clothes, basically. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's getting actually nice here in, in San Francisco, too, the fall. But it's funny, this is the warmest part of the whole year in San Francisco, which is very not normal for the United States, um, where the weather gets up into like the high 80s. So it's just, it's glorious for the for this month and next month here in, in, the, in San Francisco. So if you are ever... Considering visiting San Francisco now is a really good time. September, October is great. San Francisco has an awesome little microclimate, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes it's like 10 to 20 degrees different from um, even like a half hour drive away going south or going east. So it's just, it's a, it's a really interesting place. In fact, sometimes my co-founder David and I, we live about a mile apart and there will be huge weather differences between where we are. Like it will be raining in one place and not in the other or have fog or be colder and sunny. Um, it's it's really strange. <laughs> it's, it, it takes a little while to get used to. And then once you get used to living here, you just bring a jacket everywhere and sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, Airbnb has been working for a while with Resi, a company that they invested in in January. So this has been uh, it's been coming for for a while, but now they finally rolled out or they started testing restaurant recommendations as part of uh, their trips functionality. And not only uh, can you check out different uh, restaurants. Uh, in uh, 16 U.S. cities, including New York, Los Angeles, Miami, and a bunch of other ones, you can even book a table without leaving the Airbnb app. So this mm-hmm. is a nice piece of functionality that has recently been been added to the app. You can even notify the restaurant if you're running late, and you can also you can even pay for the meal ahead of time, including tax and 
tip, but I don't know how you would pay ahead of time, including tip, because you don't know what the service is going to be like yet. Yes, that's that's interesting, actually. But maybe if you're not from the U.S. and tipping causes you anxiety and you just want to give the standard amount, maybe that's a benefit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on a a bunch of different travel blogs online and one of the most common discussions is around tipping. And I know it causes people a lot of stress who are not from the U.S. to think about how to tip. So maybe that just removes a, a layer of anxiety for international travelers here. I can see that working well. Yeah, I remember when I moved to the US, I uh, I wasn't quite used to the uh, tipping structure, uh, where it's, it almost seems like you're kind of supposed to pay about 18%, almost kind of like regardless how the service was. Is that true? Yeah, it's usually, um, it's usually 15% of the pre-tax amount, just to make it even more confusing. And then if you're really satisfied you can tip up to 20 to 25%, but usually 20 is like a generous tip. But then some people make just mathematical kind of mistakes or requests. They just don't think about it. And they actually tip on the post-tax amount, which can actually be like 10% more. So it gets really confusing and everyone has a different rule of thumb. (laughs) Well, two things I've noticed is that restaurants in the US, they don't like foreigners who don't understand the tipping uh, culture, Uh, especially the servers don't like it. And then on the yeah. other on the other side, uh, I've also noticed that uh, when you go to restaurants in foreign countries, they always love Americans because yes. the Americans they they tip fifteen twenty percent in foreign countries where you know where tipping is not part of the culture. So yeah, it goes, goes both ways. Yes, exactly. Like I remember being in Prague and tipping probably inappropriately large amounts um, compared to the cost of the meal. <laughs> My husband, who's from Israel, would always yell at me because he he's not used to tipping, and he'd be like, "This is ridiculous! You're giving way too much." Never mind, like reinforcing the stereotype about Jewish people. But anyway, <laughs> um, it was uh, it was funny, and I I actually was kind of nice being an American in a foreign country in that way because then. Americans have such a terrible reputation, but at least we're good tippers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, when you're in Prague, everything is pretty cheap. So I guess then, you know, tipping doesn't really cost much. Exactly. And we'll talk about that later because there's actually an article that shows like different like amounts of money that people, that Airbnb guests spend in different cities. But we'll get to yes. that. First, let's mm-hmm. talk about, uh, let's talk about Resi. So what are your thoughts? You think this is going to be a big hit? I think as a user of the, um, like a, as a traveler of, on the app, I think Resi is a great benefit, especially when you're feeling overwhelmed about being in a new place. You know, travel is like, you're an experienced traveler and I would call myself sort of experienced, but travel is an anxiety inducing activity because you're in a new place. and Sometimes you don't even speak the language. You don't even have all the tools, like maybe your cell phone doesn't work. So the more that um, Airbnb can do to help smooth and, and make that experience safer and more comfortable, I think it will be better for everybody. So I'm really excited about it. I think it all comes down to the execution because, you know, we've seen Airbnb experiences, for example, which which I went on and we talked about that before and that was not executed very well, but there's a lot more risk in those in that model than there is in restaurant reservations. So I think it'll be easier for them to execute and I'm excited to see the benefit to all the travelers on the platform. What do you think? Um, well, I was just thinking if I would use it and, you know, when I travel, I always use uh, Foursquare. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the reason why I might not use it is because 
you know, imagine I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining I'm in a city. I want to go get some food. I mean, the first thing that I worry about is not so much like making the reservation through app. The first thing I, I worry about is, you know, how good is the restaurant? Is this mm-hmm. a restaurant that has like good reviews and stuff? So I would go on Foursquare and, you know, Foursquare lists all the, the restaurants, uh, that are in your, uh, in your area. It knows where you are. And so it kind of shows you like the top picks in your, in your area. And so I would go and, you know, check out the, check out some of the reviews, check out some of the pictures. So I don't know if I would go for the trouble of first going in, going into Foursquare, figuring out where I want to eat and then going into the Airbnb app to make the reservation. I think it's probably one step too far for me. I, I think I would just pick my restaurant and and just walk over because I usually pick restaurants that are pretty close to where I am. So, um, but then again, uh, you know, everyone's different. So we'll 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 see. My um, my gut feeling tells me that it's going to be really hard for Airbnb to to get a lot of traction with this uh, with this particular functionality. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Interesting. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, right now they're, you know, they're using it, uh, they're making it available in the US. I think in the US, everybody uses OpenTable. Yeah. And so the question is, you know, just because you're an Airbnb guest, does that mean that you're going to now use the Airbnb app to book restaurants instead of, you know, OpenTable, which is what most people are, are used to? I can maybe see the for- foreign people using it. But then again, yeah. my worry would be like, okay, are all the restaurants actually in the app or is it the selection? Is it Airbnb selection? Right. Is it just the right. restaurants that want to work with Airbnb? Uh, are there, are there reviews? Like I, there's a demo that you can see on the, on the website, uh, theverge.com. And, mm-hmm. uh, I don't see any reviews. No, so I don't see any reviews. Either. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't book a table at one of these restaurants without actually, you know, seeing some of the reviews of, of other people, because I know, mm-hmm. you know, as a, I mean, I know there's so many like tourist traps around the world in different places. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always looking for the sort of the, the local restaurant that, you know, you normally wouldn't find. So one of the things that they could do is bring in reviews from third party service like Yelp or, you know, like open table. And that would, that would change things. But it's like, it is an interesting question because Resi doesn't have that big network of reviews. And that's where Yelp has really won, you know, in terms of like having enough critical mass of reviewers. And actually, most reviews on Yelp are all four stars. So it's not that helpful. But at least you can read through them from different people's perspectives. Because this is a very, this user experience looks, to, reminds totally, totally of Apple in that it's like, <laughs> this is the one way you do it. And this is information we're going to give you. And that's it. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I, I hear you on that, but it, it's interesting. A lot of it, for some people, I think it makes them feel more comfortable. For some people, it makes them feel less comfortable because they don't have as much information. So I think it depends. It actually reminds me of this other article that you sent me about uh, childlike wonder. I, I I don't know if you want to segue into that, but um, <laughs> are you ready to talk about something else? Uh, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, so you sent me this great article from Quartz.com about Brian Chesky saying that the most important trait for entrepreneurs is to have a sort of a sense of childlike wonder about things. And it's interesting that this article written because about 12 years ago, when I was working at Apple, I got the chance to interact with Johnny Ives and not so much Steve Jobs, but I would see like Johnny Ives and his team in the cafeteria at Apple a lot. And they, these guys, they would walk around like they were like seven years old. They would have their 
head up to the sky and be like wondering about things and asking questions. And they seemed oh so open-minded. And it, for me, it was really a pivotal moment in my life. Um, I just graduated from business school. And answer is to be an entrepreneur or to be a good leader. You can actually just be the one asking questions. And so I found that this article quite meaningful, actually. And I think that the message is really clear that to be successful, you really have to be asking why and have a really open mind, um, which makes being an entrepreneur a lot more fun, too. So anyway, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think that uh, you know, from what I've seen uh, with like successful entrepreneurs, they you know, they, they question everything. They have a very like skeptical and critical mind and they, you know, they think differently. They think outside of the box and, uh, they, they don't take yes or no for an answer. And, uh, they're not afraid to, you know, sort of go against, uh, the opinion of the mainstream. So now I, yeah. yeah, I can definitely see how that would, would be an important characteristic of a, a successful entrepreneur. Yeah. By the way, there was also an article on, uh, the experiences, the other functionality that uh, Airbnb has added uh, back in November, they've now opened it up uh, in New York, which I, I'm not sure why New York wasn't part of the original launch, like uh, why New York wasn't part of one of the cities that they originally launched in. But uh, now they've launched Airbnb experiences in New York. And I guess to give it uh, to to sort of launch with a blast and give it some publicity, they they uh, they've actually recruited Sarah Jessica Parker for one of the experiences. I mean, I'm I'm assuming I'm assuming they uh, they recruited her for this, and she can she will take you for four hundred dollars. She will take you on a unforgettable shoe shopping experience. Um, you get a pair of shoes. And so uh, I can imagine there must be a lot of people who will uh, want to do this particular experience. But the question really is, you know, is experiences going to take off? Are people actually going to go on all these tours offered by, you know, people who are not famous? And, you know, there's this, uh, this article on CBS News. It uh, comes with a video where they uh, they chat to Brian Chesky about this, and he mentioned uh, he mentioned somebody who's making like two hundred thousand dollars taking people on hiking trips. I definitely think those are the the exceptions because because I kind of get the feeling from talking to hosts and guests that you know I, I don't hear a lot of people who are uh, actually going on on a lot of experiences. So you know I'm I'm very curious to uh, to know how much traction they're actually getting with this. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's the jury's still out on experiences. <laughs> I mean, I think it's the challenge is that they're trying to make assumptions about the types of travelers that are in a certain place and then be able to make um, the experiences work with that type of traveler. And I think like for a mountain guide, like if you're going to Telluride, Colorado or Banff, you know, up in Canada where there's just beautiful mountains and hiking and you want to lead people on backpacking trips, the people who go visit there are probably more likely to book those kind of trips. But I think in urban areas where there's so much, so many diverse interests, sets of interests and also diverse sets of skills for the experienced providers, it's a really hard matching process. Um, like when I was in New York, there were only three or four experiences available to me the weekend that I was there. And the one I went on, I wasn't really particularly interested in. I never would have gone unless I was doing it because I'm the CEO and co-founder of Hostfully. Um, I was doing it to just check it out. And I wasn't that excited by any of the others because they were really specific. One was about like brewing beer. This one was a graffiti walk. They just were too specific for my tastes. So anyway, 
Yeah, It'll I mean, when they launched it, I was I was pretty enthusiastic, pretty positive about it. Uh, but I'm definitely starting to get some some second thoughts about uh, whether this is going to be successful or not. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also something to be said for a company just focusing on on one thing. Um, I think there's been a lot of examples in the past from companies that were very successful in one area and they tried to uh, diversify into other areas. You know, Google Plus, I think, is a is a is a good example. And so. I don't know. I, I'm a little skeptical now about whether this is going to work or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be really interesting if they can get non-Airbnb travelers to book the experiences like locals or something like that. But that's like a whole different marketing situation. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hosts, does it feel like you're spending way too much time responding to questions from your Airbnb guests? Is the fear of a possible bad review keeping you up at night? I recently learned about a really helpful service called Aviva IQ. With Aviva IQ, my workload and worries have reduced dramatically. All I had to do was link my Airbnb listings to Aviva IQ, create my messages and schedule delivery times. That's it. I can't believe how easy it was to set up. Now I can sit back and relax knowing that my guests receive all the important details on time, every time. Everybody sleeps better. Check them out at www.avivaiq.com. There was an interesting article that I saw in the traveldailynews.asia website. and It talks about how food plays a big role in choosing the the holiday destination for for travelers and this Mm -hmm. article uh it actually has some data about a study that was done in the airbnb asia pacific travel survey so it was it was um, a survey amongst uh, people that use airbnb in asia i guess and the results Mm -hmm. were that 71 percent of people surveyed emphasizing the importance of trying local cuisines on uh, vacation which is interesting because you know that kind of shows that for one thing it makes it very logical for Airbnb to to get into the uh, the restaurant reservation business. I mean that seems to make sense, right? On the other mm-hmm. hand, I think it also shows that you know when people go on holiday, they're they're really looking for the special restaurant, the local restaurants, the restaurants that they wouldn't otherwise find. And so you know, I think that it kind of shows that how the importance of providing your guests with uh, with restaurant recommendations, and and that's the other thing that I want to mention uh-huh. is you know if you're if you're an Airbnb guest, you're staying with an Airbnb host, you're probably going to ask your Airbnb host for for recommendations on restaurants too, right? Yes, and so that's qu- right. And so the question is, you know, are those restaurants? Let's say your host recommends a certain little restaurant, and that restaurant, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be on the uh, on the on the Airbnb app. I guess you know, sort of the the process of finding a restaurant for me as a traveler, if I'm staying with an Airbnb host, would be to ask the host, "Hey, where should I eat?" And if the host says, "Well, mm-hmm. you know what, like you know, three blocks away from here, there's an amazing little restaurant." I don't think I would go into the Airbnb app to then try and find it and then book it through the app. I would probably just walk over. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Well, that's why we build Hostfully, so I hope you're right. (laughs) That's right. I didn't even think of that. Yes. I mean, that's the thesis, right? It's like the person who you're staying with has a much greater incentive to make sure that your stay is good compared to anyone else, even Airbnb. Mm -hmm. So they're going to make sure that the recommendations they give you are tailored for you um, and they're really high quality. So that's kind of the 
That's the thesis. By the way, there was another study that was done. Uh, I think it was done by Airbnb. So, you know, we have to be a little bit, a little bit skeptical. But uh, uh, apparently they've generated six and a half billion dollar boost for local restaurants globally. And then I think what they mean by local restaurants is restaurants that are located in the neighborhood of where the host is or where the guests are staying. So according to the statistics, 43% of spending done by Airbnb guests was in the neighborhood that they were staying in. And uh, mm-hmm. and so and, and Airbnb guests are spending more in local businesses than they've ever before, uh, coming out of restaurants with their pockets 40 to $100 lighter on average. Mm. And they also list a, a number of cities to show how much Airbnb guests spend annually in restaurants in major European cities and mm. uh well London is by far the the top one on the list which is not uh surprising cuz restaurants are really expensive in London um but then there's Prague in there as well which is the lowest one um mm. so which is uh, which also makes sense because yeah you know, I've I've been to Prague and one thing that I noticed there is like it was so cheap you can get like a giant beer for like a couple dollars yeah although like that's an exceptionally p- cheap part of Prague is the beer I think it's cheaper than water. Well, that's the only thing I consumed, so. (laughs) I think, like, I mean, the food was also cheap, but the beer is exceptionally cheap. Yeah. Uh, One of the co-founders of Airbnb decided to open up his home. We're talking about Joe Gebbia. He has been persuading hosts all across the world to welcome uh, refugees into their homes, and he's now decided to uh, to host a refugee refugee himself. <laughs> Can't pronounce that word. Refugee. Refugee. There you go. Thank you. This article is in the Financial Times, by the way, and um, it's a pretty interesting article if you want to uh, learn a little bit more about uh, Joe Gebbia and, and and about his house. He has some pretty interesting. Uh, pieces of art in his house, some vintage chairs uh, in particular, designed by, uh, amongst others, uh, Gerrit Rietveld, who's actually a Dutch uh, designer. Um, there's a, I think there's a school in Holland called the Gerrit Rietveld Academy or something. Uh, anyway, pretty interesting article if you want to, if you want to learn a little bit more about, uh, about Joe Gebbia. And so there's going to be some refugees staying at his place. Uh, I, I would feel pretty uh, privileged if I was a, a refugee and I, I get to stay with Joe Gabby. That would be pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, was there anything else that you, you saw that we can talk about? No, this is that's pretty much it. I think the Razzy News was the big uh, Airbnb-related announcement. And, you know, haven't seen a, a ton on the on the news wire about, you know, legislation changes and stuff. That's kind of always happening, but it's been kind of quiet actually these last few weeks. So I think, um, you know, with the, with the fall coming and seasonality changing a little bit, it's, uh, it's quieting down a little bit. Well, I did get a question in the get paid for your pet Facebook group. And this is something that, uh, that still pops up quite a bit. I get quite a lot of questions about it. So what do you do as a host when you get a guest who uh, who breaks the house rules and doesn't behave well and, and you kind of feel like you want to leave a negative review? But then there seems like there's still a lot of hosts who are kind of reluctant to do so um, because they think it's it's going to hurt their businesses somehow. And uh, and so you know, we, uh, me and Margo, we uh, did a little bit of, uh, of, of research before the podcast to double check this, but... Well, first of all, there's no 
there shouldn't be any fear of retaliation when it comes to writing reviews because you know, the review period is 14 days after checkout and you will not be able, the guest will not be able to see the host review until one of two things, until the review period has passed or if the host has also left the review. So if you both leave a review, then you can see each other's reviews, but you can't edit the reviews. So you can't, you can't wait for the host to leave a review and then leave a bad review you know, as a retaliation. That's not possible. So you don't have to worry about that as a host. Um, but then I guess some people are still worried that future guests are going to be uh, worried about a negative review for them if the host has already left a negative review for a previous guest. And so we, you know, me and Margo, we're kind of playing around on the platform a little bit. And it's, it's, I mean, you can actually see the, the reviews that the host has left for their previous guests. Because if you go on a, you know, you go on the, on the Airbnb listing and you can see the reviews that the guests have left for the host. But if you click on the profiles of the guests, then you can also see the review that the host has left for the guest. But you'll have to go through, you know, you have to look at all the different profiles. You have to look at them one by one. And so some hosts might think that, you know, if you leave a negative review for your past guest, that that will have a negative impact on the chance of getting booked by a future guest. And, you know, I, I personally think that, you know, when you're looking for an Airbnb, the decision process, I don't think the reviews that the host has left for their previous guest is is going to be a major factor. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's unlikely that as a guest, you would actually do that much digging. Like it really took you and I some time to figure that out. Um, and I think as long as you're not consistently giving people bad reviews for unreasonable things, then it's never a problem, right? I mean, that's the benefit of the community platform is that bad actors get weeded out. So I don't see that happening. Like, I don't, I don't think it's bad. If somebody trashes your place, like you should definitely leave them a bad review. Think about the next host that they're they're gonna stay with. Like it's doing a favor for them. So I think that's another. Yeah. yeah. So I totally agree. I think uh, the reviews should always be honest. They should always be authentic representations of what the experience was like. And you know, if the experience was positive, great. If it was not so positive, then that should be reflected in the review. And I really yeah. don't think there's there's much of a negative effect on on your future Airbnb business. So I don't think hosts should be concerned about that at all. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have to sympathize, though, that um, when I had that bad experience with experiences <laughs> in New York, I really was reluctant to give a bad review. It was an awful experience. I actually wanted my money back. Um, and my co-founder, David, was like, you have to give a bad review. That's how it works. And so it's kind of like being a good citizen, actually, to be honest, even though it's not always comfortable. So it's, that's another way to think about it, too. Yeah, you don't have to be mean in the review, right? You don't have to uh, yell at your guests, but you can be, you can just write, you can write it in a, in a way that you're still being respectful, I guess. But it has yeah. to be, it has to be honest because, because otherwise, like, you know, other, you want future guests to be aware of what your experience was like, right? You're helping the future guests by, and you know, by enabling them to make a better decision where to stay. And you're yeah, also educating right. the host too, because you know if you leave a bad review for a host, there's a good chance that that host will take it serious and actually do something to improve the experience for future guests. Yep. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, Margot. Well, thank you so much for yep. joining totally today. Agree. 
um our connection was a little little chunky so i hope i hope the podcast is still gonna turn out reasonable but uh if not if there's some uh, hiccups uh apologies for for that it's sometimes a little bit tricky always be traveling and always make you know having a a perfect internet connection it's sometimes a little bit challenging so Hopefully you'll be okay and uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. And of course, uh, we'll be back on Monday with another episode of Get Paid for Your Pet. So I hope to see you then. Get paid for your pet. 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 Get paid for your pet.